Hello there, and welcome back to Not Just Paleo. I'm your host, Evan Brand, and today is an awesome episode. I know I say that all the time, but Julia Ross is a health and neurotransmitter expert, someone I've greatly admired, and I've wanted to get her on the show for several years. My specialty in working one-on-one with people is to help balance neurotransmitters because those brain chemicals are what determine your moods, whether you're feeling depressed or you're having carb cravings or you're irritable or you suffer from insomnia. You know, a lot of my clients are dealing with one or more, most likely a combination of these different mood symptoms and getting to the bottom of neurotransmitters and balancing those out with the right nutrients can be incredibly helpful. You know, there's the people that come to me that I've done the paleo and it's still not working. And and this is why you're not getting to the root cause. And that's kind of the functional medicine perspective is getting to the root cause and balancing out your neurotransmitters so that you don't feel crazy and you don't have to depend on willpower. And that's kind of what we talk about today with Julia is that the myth of willpower is just so overstated. Everyone thinks that they're a horrible person because they want to go for the cake or the gluten-free cookie or whatever it is, and it's not your fault. You know, If you have a neurotransmitter imbalance, your brain is going to try to trick you to get those quick boosts of dopamine and serotonin and things like that. I'd be happy to discuss this more with you. I do offer complimentary consultations back at my website, notjustpaleo.com. So head there and you'll see the make an appointment button. So here we go. I'm here with an author of one of my favorite books. She's much more than an author, but uh, that's how I first came across her. The author of several books. The one that I found first was The Mood Cure. And then following that was the diet cure. So I'm speaking today with Julia Ross. Hi, Julia. Hi there. Glad to be with you. Yeah, thank you so much. We we were talking off air about my little stress tea that I drank before we got on the call. So this may be something that people want to know about. Do you drink any, any stress teas? I don't. Um, I, I seem to have a, kind of a, an abundance of uh, natural GABA production uh, it's sort of a genetic uh, trait in my family, uh, easygoing, uh, relatively relaxed people. So unless I'm under some very specific stressors, um, I don't. And in fact, licorice now gives me uh, insomnia, so I have to be pretty careful about um, about herbs, you know, many of which can go either way, you know, be either stimulating or relaxing. and. Right. Yeah. Well, that's good. I I think that my family probably has low GABA. We're all, <laughs> all nervous wrecks. <laughs> yeah, we're all a bunch of hotheads. Either either copperheads or or low GABA or a combination of both. Who knows? Uh huh. Well, tell people about yourself if they haven't heard of your books or or what you're into. You've done, in my opinion, some of the most important work in the 21st century for mood disorders. Well, thank you. Um... I have to agree. Um, <laughs> they're just, uh, you know, I was very fortunate uh, earlier in my career. Um, I was uh, a an addiction specialist, um, and I had done a lot of training. In, you know, I had a master's in clinical psychology, and I was bringing, you know, all these exciting new techniques to bear. In the on the addiction field, where up to that point there really wasn't much um, except twelve step programs, 
um, being provided. And, um, you know, over the years, uh, I saw and, you know, everyone else in the field saw that, that relapse rates were actually getting worse, not better, in spite of the fact that we had these rich psychotherapeutic programs, and uh, which, which our clients loved. But, uh, you know, they were great for a lot of things, but they just were not great for correct, fundamentally correcting mood problems um, that were biochemical in origin, which it turned out they mostly were in the addicted population. And um, so, so mood didn't really improve, and, uh, and the cravings persisted. Um, and then we learned that, indeed, the cravings and the mood problems of, of addicts were caused by a, a fundamental uh, aberrations in, in uh, brain chemistry, uh, deficiencies in the neurotransmitters that should be making people feel uh, happy enough that they didn't need to reach for substances. Just they weren't there. The resources, biochemical resources in the brain just weren't there. And fortunately, at about that time in the mid-'80s, um, a uh, neuroscientist got very interested in the addiction field and introduced us to the fact that certain amino acids or protein fragments could um, correct the imbalances that were causing people to, um, to become addicted to various substances, including food. Um, and my clinic uh, was, uh, at that time, um, quite innovative for its time in that I already had hired nutritionists as well as psychotherapists, and, um, but we weren't getting anywhere without the amino acid supplements that the neuroscientist Kenneth Blum introduced us to and, and had done quite a bit of very exciting research on. Um, and so... With our clients, we were able to see that these neurotransmitter foods um, not only turned off addictive cravings for alcohol, drugs, and foods, but also normalized mood amazingly and quickly. And so we started programs for people with uh, compulsive eating problems, too, and found miraculous results. Um, And uh, so I've continued in my outpatient clinics uh, here in the San Francisco Bay Area to utilize and learn about the use of these brain foods and uh, to train professionals about it and to write books about it so that people can help themselves because this is really not a very complicated process, the refurbishing uh, of the optimally functioning brain. Um, People can get the general directions in the book. Uh, Each book has a website, The Diet Cure, which is more about um, overeating, uh, and The Mood Cure, which is about depression, anxiety, insomnia, uh, and some information about addiction as well. Julia, what I love about The Mood Cure is that you make it so accessible for people. I'm just smiling ear to ear, by the way. Your voice is is you can tell you're GABA dominant or at least you have plenty of GABA. I think people are going to love this episode and say, oh my gosh, just I could just listen to Julia all day. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, 
But I, I, I certainly could, and trust me, I'm hundreds of episodes in of podcasting, and you don't find people like yourself very often. But, ah. but you, you know, what I like about the Mood Cure is that you make it very accessible for people to take action. And there's a lot of other books and physicians and practitioners that I've had on the show, and they try to convince people that these even just simple amino acid therapy is so complex and so scary, and you must spend hundreds if not thousands of dollars on different testing and things like that just in case, you know, when it comes to supplementing. Uh, but me personally, I've done a lot of uh, reading and researching and going through your book was, was definitely one resource. Amino acids don't have to be that scary. No, uh, we were amazed by that. But but because of Kenneth Blum's work, we were introduced to um, this very reliable way of assessing which neurotransmitters were in trouble. And uh, once you know that, then you know which amino acids you need. And once you try them within, you know, 10 to 30 minutes, you can feel the difference. And so you're getting that feedback right away. You know that, okay, this is what I'm looking for. This is, now I can feel relief of this set of symptoms. Um, and so you keep on with it um, and adjust the dosing as you need. Um, when we were first um, challenged about, you know, well, why don't you just do testing? Um, we were able to, you know, explain to people that, that the symptom questionnaires, you know, the symptoms that describe deficiency of any particular amino acid uh, in neurotransmitter um, came from testing. Lots of testing in the 1970s in particular um, helped scientists to identify what does it mean when that someone's serotonin deficient. If their numbers are low, how do they feel? And we were able to get this great, you know, picture of of how the brain makes us feel or or doesn't make us feel. Um, and in fact, when uh, testing for neurotransmitters levels became common, um, popular uh, over the last fifteen years or so, um, we actually did do it. Uh, this. Um, urine testing, and found that it was so inaccurate that um, it didn't correspond to the symptoms. And uh, so people would too often uh, be treating themselves for, for a deficiency they didn't really have and that they could get badly thrown off. So we stopped doing it, and I began to you know urge people and practitioners not to use it, um, but to use the you know tried and true symptom uh, questionnaires instead uh, to save the money to save the potential uh, problems caused by inaccurate testing, and there's there have been many studies done comparing urine testing of neurotransmitters with blood platelet testing or cerebrospinal fluid, and which are known to be incredibly accurate, and finding it remote you know, just doesn't compare to the real information in a lot of cases. Sometimes it does, and then, you know, people are so excited because, oh, I'm deficient in this, and I'll take this, and it works. Uh, they have no idea that it could be even better um, if they would simplify and just go with with their symptoms. So I'm very glad that I was able to find a good publisher who really promoted the mood cure so that people would have that resource 
That's great. So, I mean, now there's there's so many different things in the modern world that are depleting neurotransmitters. I mean, looking back from, I mean, pick wherever you would like to. I mean, looking back at, say, the 80s compared to today, I mean, did you imagine that the world was going to continue at a faster and faster rate of pace, therefore depleting neurotransmitters? Do you think that we, I mean, are we up against more than we ever have been compared to back then? Well, yes. Uh, And, you know, it's a terrible combination of of increased external stressors um, and the most stressful diet ever known. So that we all have some vulnerabilities in terms of, you know, which neurotransmitters we make the most, you know, optimally and, and ones that we're perhaps not as good at providing ourselves. But if we don't have the basic nutrients to make neurotransmitters out of coming on a regular basis from our diet, um, there's just no way that we can do anything but deteriorate in terms of our moods. And right now, of the top 10 foods um, consumed, uh, eight of them are um, refined sugar or starch or some combination. And two of them are proteins. And they're, you know, like at number eight and number nine. Um, so we are eating so poorly and we're eating so little protein, um, because we're so addicted to sweets and starches, you know, who needs, uh, you know, uh, a turkey thigh if, if, uh, if there's ice cream and, and pasta to choose from, uh, it's, it's always going to lose out. Um, so that's why I... Uh, 2012 um, published uh, the uh, the diet cure um, to update the information that I've been giving out for years about how to stop our cravings for um, high carbohydrate foods, so that we can get back to the balanced diet that allowed us to make our own neurotransmitters, you know, efficiently and beautifully, and keep ourselves on an even keel uh, emotionally and help us to tolerate whatever stresses we encounter. I mean, life's always been stressful, but, uh, but the pace picking up the way it has is, you know, completely unknown in human history, Yeah, I, as is our diet. Definitely. I've definitely fixed my mood with adding in more protein and just fixing my blood sugar. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. crazy how much... I didn't really realize the importance of blood sugar until I started digging deep into nutrition and neurotransmitters if people are skipping even skipping meals like I'm I'm not the biggest fan of intermittent fasting because so many people are so stressed out and they add that other stressor of just not eating or eating in such a small window that there's no fuel and then and then they they binge eat and that was something I wanted to ask you about is you know we kind of talked off air a little bit about the paleo movement's really successful but 90% of people that come to me are doing paleo and they're still failing. They're still craving. They're binge eating. They're doing exercise and all of the great things they're supposed to be doing and going to bed at the right time and things like that. But they're still binging on now. It's gluten free cookies when it used to just be regular cookies. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, addiction is addiction, um, and it's a very very tough um, fight if you don't have the tools to dismantle it. But fortunately. 
the amino acids that correct our, our brain, our neurotransmitter function, uh, our brain's neurotransmitter function, um, once those neurotransmitters are balanced, we just don't crave because the, the allure of addictive foods is that they can instantly uh, and very temporarily increase neurotransmitter function. And that's the drug effect. We can get the same kind of um, permanent uh, mood benefit if we're eating, a, you know, a paleo diet. What is it but, about? What is it about the diet that, that's causing people to fail? Though, I mean, do you think it's too much exercise, other external stressors, or what? Well, what it is? Um, yeah, it's, that's a good question. Um, a lot of people who do the paleo or other things. Um, some of the more common, commonly, you know, uh, popular diets are, are under eating. So they're eating beautiful food, but they're not eating enough of it. And some of it is because they want to lose weight. Um, and some of it be, is because some of the people who promote the paleo or have promoted the paleo diet in various forms um, just don't know any better. And they're suggesting low-calorie uh, low uh, dieting. And yet at the same time, you know, people who do paleo are likely to be athletic and likely to want to be working out. And you can't do all that. You know, you can't maintain a good diet and work out um, with low calories because the body is just going to go into rebellion. And um, it's, it needs its carbs, especially if you're working out, especially if you happen to have a high metabolism. Um, one of the things that I'm concerned about with people who go paleo is that um, the, I've seen a number of them who've ended up drinking excessively. And, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons is, you know, that they may have some latent tendency to alcoholism in the first place, but that they're just not eating enough food and not enough carbohydrate. So if you need carbohydrate and all you're eating is protein and fat pretty much, your body will convert the protein and fat into carbohydrate um, so that you can keep on, you know, functioning. And that just destabilizes things and people start to want the real thing, you know. Well, I need some carbs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm starving for carbs. And in a way, that's true. A beautiful diet, you can still starve on it if you're not eating enough um, I was just reading about the um, the Berlin uh, airlift. Uh, the, that was the beginning of the Cold War, and, and the Russians cut off uh, all roads to West Berlin. And uh, so uh, the Western powers began airlifting food, and they airlifted, I don't know, how many tons of food a day for a year until finally the Russians relented and opened the, opened the roads again. Um, but they were only able to feed them 1,700 calories a day. A lot of people think that's a good amount of food, but it was clearly, clear that they were starving when you looked at photos before and after. And so everyone who lived there knew they were starving. Um, so we have to be very careful about um, our tendency to want to go locale. That's that's a great great story, and so many people are carbohydrates are demonized in any form of a grain, whether it's uh, rice or anything. It, it's all demonized now, and for me, I felt like crap. I felt horrible. I had 
the mood blues, uh, definitely when I got rid of, not got rid of carbohydrates, that's almost impossible to do. Right. When I excluded rice and, and things like that, I really enjoyed the sweet potato and rice and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I could build muscle with, without carbs. I'm sure I could, but I feel so much better now with that stuff in my diet. So I'm really happy to hear that you're... Well, you're sparing protein that way. You're sparing aminos to build the muscle so that it, the protein isn't broken down and burned, you know, in place of the carbohydrates, which it can, which the body will do. It doesn't care about muscle when it's, you know, it's, its survival is threatened, you know. Uh, but if you get, you know, a balanced amount of carb and protein um, tailored to your own body type, um, it works really well, as you're describing. That's a good point. So you're saying people need to, they have to balance out those macronutrients because if you're suffering from cravings or you're having trouble putting on muscle or, or losing fat, there's likely some sort of mismatch there with your with your numbers. Not that you need to count every grain of rice. I have 37.5 grains now. but <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know, what What I think helps a lot, it, it certainly helped me um, envision, you know, the problem here uh, was thinking about um, our history on the planet, you know, and of course the, pale, the whole paleo movement is uh, a very potent cry to look backwards, you know, that what we're doing now is, you know, death, and uh, we have to go backward if we're going to, you know, recover, you know, and, and retreat from this, uh, you know, nightmare uh, diet. Um, but we have to remember that uh, people ate a lot of calories and they ate a lot of carb. Um, a lot of people who were not, you know, old enough to notice what was going on in the 60s, which was the last decade that we even that we ate, you know, approximately uh, a healthful diet, um, don't know what that what it looked like, um, but. I, you know, I, I was conscious in the 60s, and uh, we never missed a meal. I mean, three meals, it was sacrosanct. Um, nobody missed meals. Uh, even during the Depression, it was unheard of for people to miss meals. Three meals a day, and they were substantial. And yet, with plenty of carbs, and at that time there was too much sugar. You know, we had gradually increased the amount of sugar. Um and there was some heart disease coming up. Um, the first book, though, on heart disease was written in the 40s. Um, and in the 50s, uh, our sugar increased and, and our heart disease uh, rates started to really get scary. Um, but other carbs, you know, were pretty stable um, and plentiful. Um, but we were healthy other than this increased heart disease that corresponded with sugar. We were healthy and we were happy, <laughs> relatively happy, and our weight was totally normal. It was so unusual to see anybody who had a weight problem. That, I know I was about to say that. I've looked at some kind of old, I don't know if it was Woodstock or whatever. I was kind of browsing the archives one day uh-huh. looking at old pictures, and you saw, I mean, th- there were no fat people at all. No. They, they just there. weren't here. And and most people, you know, I shouldn't say most, but I think a lot of people have forgotten that who know it. 
and and then there are so many generations now born who never saw it, who never saw a world uh, where people were at normal weight without effort. Yeah, without effort. I yes, th- that's the that's the key. And people are happier. I'm getting goosebumps now just picturing that the air and the energy. I mean, you make it sound like the energy in the air would have been different in those decades than it is now. Well, it, yeah, and it wasn't only the air, but it was the sounds. I mean, I live across from a bike path in beautiful Marin County, just north of San Francisco, and I never hear people sing or whistle or anything for years now. And uh, but that was a constant up through the 60s, that people were whistling and humming and singing and under their breath or, you know, or full on. <laughs> um, so, you know, we've just deteriorated in all these, all these things that were basic to our nature uh, for all of our history on the planet, you know, unless there was a famine. People were normal weight, normal health, um, and normal mood. Julia, let me ask you this. What do, do, do you think it's that people, I mean, I know if they don't have the raw materials from their diet to make the necessary neurotransmitters, they can't be happy and they won't have the willpower to sing. But to me, I don't know if you feel this way, but it almost seems like you get made fun of for being a happy, outgoing, positive, upbeat person. Like it's more common in a group of people to just sort of kind of keep your head down, kind of stay quiet, and just kind of move along. I can't really think of a better word. I know it gets into conspiracy territory when you say the word sheep, but it seems like it's more easy or more popular to become a sheep than someone who's outspoken and happy, and you're putting out energy to the world. And and I just I want to find other people that are like that. Well, it, you know, there used to be a lot more people like that. And, uh, you know, when you think about the 60s, you know, the activism of the 60s, um, people were, uh, you know, standing up and being counted. But I, I, I was one of our clients is a social activist, and um, his problem was uh, panic, panic attacks. And um, so he had a lot of energy, and, and he could keep working and doing his social activism, but... You know, he had this panic, and so we were able to get rid of the panic. But he and I had a lot of conversations about he had to improve his diet and as well as take the amino acid supplements and so forth. We talked about how the number of people, activists, has shrunk, and uh, and it's because it's a hard row, you know, even if you're in good shape to be an activist. And people are not in good shape. They can't tolerate stress. They have little energy. Their health is not good. Um, and they and they are pessimistic, you know. They're just sort of hanging on, and uh, they don't have that high serotonin optimism. Uh, serotonin is the, is the first neurotransmitter to go whenever you're depleted, especially when the diet is depleted of protein. Uh, and and so um, we get back to the diet again. Uh, we can't be who we're intended to be if we don't fuel the brain and body properly. Right. So when you look at the United States as a a collective, I mean, I'm assuming we're depleted on almost all neurotransmitters except for dopamine when we log on Facebook. Uh, (laughs) Well, with all the caffeine going on, I'm sure we're we're deficient in dopamine too, but but we have, you know, that drug is, is, uh, 
you know, it was like essential to life for most people because it's substituting for dopamine uh, or stimulating what little there we have naturally, uh, giving us some energy. And wow. uh, so, so but, are we uh, you know, well, the reason I hate, let me just say one thing about coffee, which is another thing that concerns me about the paleo movement is there's a hell of a lot of coffee. Um, as well as this question about alcohol. But um, I don't like it because it suppresses appetite. Mm. And we have enough trouble getting people to eat three meals. But when they start the day with caffeine, it's really hard for them to eat until later. And if you wait till later, it's too late. You've skipped a third of the food, you know, that you're supposed to take in and skip the timing that's so critical. Because what we've found is that people who under-eat in the morning inevitably overeat later in the day. They're thrown off their blood sugar regulation and their neurotransmitter regulation, and they just crave stuff like crazy later on to make up for what they didn't get earlier. You just gave me goosebumps. That's incredible. You just blew my mind because I would say maybe seven out of ten clients that I work with, I'm sure you're familiar with butter coffee too where people are adding butter and coconut yeah. oil to their coffee. That way they don't have to eat because they're getting some. <laughs> they're getting calories. Yeah, yeah. They're getting some semblance of real calories or fat in there. And all these, all these clients, they're eating the entire bag of gluten-free cookies when they get home from work. That's right. Incredible. So, so we're depleted all over, and we need to restore that. So, I mean, once we get the diet picture added, are there lifestyle things that we can do? I mean, listening to music, for example, whistling, humming, singing. I love that sort of avenue that we were going on to. Well, it just is spontaneous. That's one of the ways you know. Um, I, I often tell the story of, of being at a hotel, and I'm going to be – speaking um, about mood <laughs> at, at a conference, and I'm on my way to the conference room, and I hear somebody singing. And I'm already attuned to the fact that nobody sings anymore, so wow, somebody's singing? So I tiptoe to the open door of somebody's hotel room, and it's the maid, and she's sitting at the toilet cleaning it on the floor and singing. And she's somebody, I, I asked her, you know, how long have you been in the United States <laughs> in Spanish? And she said two years. So she still had, uh, you know, an optimal, an optimally fueled brain from, you know, the simpler diet that, that uh, people tend to live if they're not, you know, from the United States. Oh, that is, that's beautiful. So, I mean... What else are we missing out on? I mean, the singing, the humming, I'm just loving this. What else are people not doing that, that you remember people were doing? I mean, I want to get back to to experiencing that. I know that's a people hard People had question. a lot more time alone without stimulation. Mm -hmm. So they could hear themselves think and take in things around them. Um, there was a lot more creative inter interactions with other people. Um well, what do we do? Oh, you know, let's make up, you know, uh, kids were not playing video games together. They were making up stories and acting them out and uh, telling each other stories and having little adventures in the corner lot, you know. And um, and part of that is that, that uh, kids, you know, don't have very much energy now and they're heavier and it's harder for them to do physical play. Um, it's easier in the condition they're in to do, you know, texting and 
and video gaming. Yeah, that... so it's hard to compare uh, uh, what it was like then. But um, I'm glad that we're talking about this. I don't think anybody's ever asked me to kind of go on and on. I remember um, when I was in high school, I had a girlfriend, and uh, we put on some kind of beautiful classical music that my father had been playing. And uh, and we opened the windows, and we had a really wide um, kind of a terrace, and we just danced. Uh, we just felt like it, you know. Nobody told us to do it. We just felt like it. Um, and we would do that, you know, often. So there were magical times, and and uh, and it's it's true that I associate music with a lot of them, you know, having uh, lots of different kinds of music and really exploring different kinds of music, and not uh, and music with a lot of different paces mm-hmm. that turns on you know different parts of your brain and experience. Yeah, so so you should you should be using music as sort of a tool. I definitely use it as a tool to get you into yeah different uh, states. Uh huh. Yeah, classical. I, I really enjoy classical, and I don't listen to too much. I don't know if you would call it modern music, but I guess you would call it radio music. I don't listen to very much radio music. I just find that it's it puts me in sort of a chaotic mindset. I don't know if you listen to the radio. Well, I, I I pretty much limit it to you know nothing past the eighties. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hear you. I mean, my grandpa, you know, in his car, it's it's fifties on five on the XM radio. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. I love it. I mean, there's nothing better. So I look at 2015 and kind of the general direction we're headed. I see some small waves you know, trying to backtrack and things like that. But overall, it's, ah, you know, I'm kind of like pulling my hair out a little bit looking at the future. And so I jump in his car and there's little Richard on or Jerry Lee Lewis or something like that. <laughs> and I'm fine. Everything in the world is fine. <laughs> yeah, the the idea that, that uh, music would, would really have a sense of humor, um, I don't know if... if, if You've gotten into Motown and you know the the next phase after after the fifties, but um, it was funny and uh, joyous and um, so uh, we also you know got ideas like the ones we got in the sixties. What are we going to do to change things? Um, well, we're going to go back to. Uh, uh, whole grains. <laughs> We're going to grow our own gardens. You know, this was all fruits of the 60s. Um, we wanted to change things, and uh, we had the, the strength and the, you know, the inspiration to do that because we had, you know, until drugs got uh, to be too big of a feature of the scene, uh, we had our brains intact. That's 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 amazing. So So you're saying there was some semblance of kind of the real food revolt even then, but it just kind of oh, got yeah. sabotaged or distracted, I guess. Well, it didn't. I mean, one of the ironies is that um, conventional nutritionists are just, you know, now talking, you know, in the last, what, 10 years or so, talking about how important whole grains are. <laughs> 
And now they've gone too far in that extreme, and they're talking about that we should go vegan. Um, and that's, uh, that is a, a concept that really frightens me um, terribly. Yeah, I, because I, I've worked the with imbalance. Some. There's never been a human population, uh, you know, going all the way back that was vegan. Yeah, I mean, I've worked with some some vegan people, and they have no emotional stability. Is that just the lack of protein just depletes? Yes. What does it? You deplete? can't have enough serotonin unless you get enough protein. Mm, okay, so serotonin. And, uh, protein is what it protects you from irritability and impatience and edginess and that kind of thing. That's your positive, uh, the only two things that will, you know, naturally provide um, serotonin are protein, the, specifically the amino acid tryptophan, and sunlight. Um, so when you, the, the further south you go, the, the more sun there is, you get this whole positive relaxed, welcoming, optimistic, manana kind of thing. That's, you know, in living color what serotonin does. So so that's part of the explanation why almost the further south, or I guess depending on where people are listening, the closer to the equator in general, you start mm-hmm. to get that sort of easy-go-lucky attitude. Yeah, I was raised in uh, Los Angeles till I was eight, and people were outside sitting on the porch steps talking to each other and so forth. Come up to San Francisco, it's not that far, but it's completely different. No one ever sat on the front porch unless it was an extraordinarily hot day. Um, and a completely different quality of uh, um, interaction with people. There's a lot of sarcasm and, you know, just not friendly, soft, open, sunny, warm it's funny, Julia, another thing that's changed, it's hilarious, is you said that they would only be on their front porch if it was hot. Now it's they'd be inside. I mean, they'd be... That's right. They'd be they hovering wanna... over the air conditioner. <laughs> yeah, that's funny because, I mean, in Kentucky, you know, my grandfather, and he, he was growing up on a farm with his grandparents, the front porch was, that was the place to be. Everybody was out there. You'd wave, you'd say hello, and you had to be out there because the, the house was too hot until the sun went down. Yeah, you'd tell jokes, you know, who knows what you'd get up to, but, you know, it was fun. So we need uh, to, so so you and I need to write a book on the benefits of, uh, what do you call that? Do you call it stooping? Like, like a, you know how they sometimes call a porch a stoop? Oh, <laughs> no, I don't think we could call it that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll think it's slave, farm worker, right. lab, labor that we're talking about. Right. Uh, but getting but, uh, on your porch, just being on yeah, your porch. Yeah, front outside. porch mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, bring it back. Um, and, you know, but, but in order to do that, the brain needs to be reminded. You know, it needs to be fueled so that it can provide that, those, that kind of impulse. Oh, turn off the TV. Let's go outside. You know, let's take a walk. The hot air feels real good tonight, you know. Um and fortunately, we have the nutrition supplement industry, which um, has provided us with these neuro- neurotransmitter fuels, you know, an in individual free form, so they get right into the brain just about instantly, and you start to recharge and realize what you could really feel like. 
and then you can be yourself, and then you have access to all your inner resources, um, you know, whether they're mood or energy or activism or creativity, whatever. It'll come out of you if you uh, are, you know, if you can fuel yourself so that those doors open. So what you're saying is what we need is to gather activists. We need door-to-door workers that are delivering whether it's phenylalanine or tyrosine or <laughs> whatever it is, we need door-to-door amino acid suppliers ASAP. Well, my um, contribution to this is, is uh, I'm working on, an, on a third book, and I have a publisher who is completely in tune with the fact that this is the, our best hope for turning around, you know, the 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 mood weight uh, degenerative disease disasters you know that have befallen us um, and willing to do international promotion you know to get the word out about how easy it is to access and use the amino acids then we'll only have to be worried about are there enough is the production of amino acids going to hold up to the demand because once once enough people know. Uh, what these things can do and how quickly they can do them. Uh, the demand is just going to be huge, and uh, and then we'll have uh, and then we'll have a chance, I think, um, to do something about this planet. Before, hopefully, before it's too late. That's that's exciting. I mean, when is too late? Well, I don't know. You know, the uh, they say that uh, some of the most basic. Um, indicators have passed, you know, that we are too late already. Um, but we're very inventive. Um, and hopefully we can... Uh, all we can do is the best we can do. And, and you know, as you've discovered, you know, these these tools really are miraculous. So, you know, if, if people's brains are liberated to start... Uh, working on, uh, you know, on saving the planet. Um, maybe we can do it or save half of it or, you know, um, I don't know what the future holds, but I know at the moment it's, it's, uh, it's not looking good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was just uh, seeing a, a film this week called Salt of the Earth, um, which I won't go into what it's all about, but just to say that it includes... Um, before and after footage of a rainforest property that had been leveled, um, you know, for gain, for financial gain, and um, a uh, a son who who inherited the property, it was completely barren. There were no animals. There was only weeds. There were no trees left, um, and. Uh, began to plant trees, and now it's completely forested, and the animals are back, including the jaguar. And um, it happened, you know, within, uh, it was visible, you know, within 10 years. Um, and the same, in the same film, they talked about how 50% of the planet is intact. Um, and the potential for a lot of what isn't intact to be regenerated is there. Um, so, 
anyway, it's great that you're running this program to get the word to people about how they can improve their own uh, mood and health and and uh, contribute to the survival of everyone else. Yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, you know, because I hear, I hear everybody's take on it, you know, so I'm kind of the filter for people to, to, I don't know what you call it, titrate it down. And so I completely hear you. And you said that documentary, it was called Salt? It's called Salt of the Earth. Okay, I need to watch that because I love that you talked about jaguars. I, you, you wouldn't uh, believe the amount of time I've spent on Wikipedia researching the like the endangered species. Oh, uh-huh. How many are left of these? How many are left of these? Oh man, there's only two thousand of these. You know, so it's it's crazy. There's seven billion plus of us, and then there's I think right now there's about thirty two hundred uh, Bengal tigers in India, and they're trying to restore that number. And I know Leonardo DiCaprio; he's been working a lot on restoring those numbers and helping i'm not sure exactly how he's helping but that the number of bengal tigers has actually increased over the past i don't know whatever their measurement was five seven years maybe so they went from two yeah. two thousand to three thousand so um it's amazing to think they're that low i mean if you picture two thousand people there could be two thousand people in a whole foods on a saturday afternoon you know <laughs> <laughs> so that's it we have a whole foods uh, full of, of tigers left. So uh. <laughs> that's right, and we want to regenerate our human tigers. Um, Definitely, and it's and it's possible. Um, so um, it's the only way I know, um, because I've seen such miracles. I mean, we've seen over four thousand people at uh, the various clinics that I've that run out here, and. Um, Almost all of them have had tremendous transformation within a week. Um, so this is not something that's you know going to take all sorts of discipline and months and months and months. It's not. It, it 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 works right away. You get the dose right, and it's easy to get the dose right, and you're there. And you have to maintain the the use of the amino acids for a certain number of months, depending on you know, your particular chemistry while you're correcting your diet. So it's not enough to take the amino acids. You'll never be off of them unless you also correct your diet and get enough protein in there. Mm-hmm. We had just a couple minutes left, but I wanted to talk about, you, you were talking about that client uh, w- with the panic attacks and people mm-hmm. that are stressed and overwhelmed. I just wanted to know sort of like a basic stack. I, I would almost call it the modern life stack. For me, like I was telling you about my tea, I love to take adaptogenic herbs and use those therapeutically just to help the stress response. But in terms of amino acids and sort of your realm of supplementation, what is a basic modern stressor stack? I guess that would be mainly to help out. Would you say that would mainly be supporting GABA levels? Well, um, serotonin is um, anti-anxiety as well. So we have two what they call inhibitory neurotransmitters in the brain that calm things down. And one of them is serotonin, and the other is GABA. And they're easy to fuel. Uh, you take one at a time and, and see, let's say I, I take serotonin and I'm feeling a lot calmer. But I'm still, uh, I'm have, I'm still having some uh, close to panic, you know, when, when the stress turns high. So I add GABA, and that's all gone. Um, so 
depending on the person and their symptoms and, and the severity of their symptoms, they may have to take one or two amino acids. And then there's a third issue, which is if the brain correction, uh, uh, calming uh, by these two amino acids isn't enough, then you turn to your adrenal glands themselves. And, and, and here's, you know, where uh, I love testing, and that is a salivary test that anybody can order off the Internet. Um, four samples of uh, your adrenal cortisol hormone and see what the levels are. And if they're low, there are certain clear-cut uh, nutrients. And if the levels are too high, there are others. Um, so those three factors, GABA, serotonin, and cortisol, um, are are the keys to repairing you know the ravages of stress from from our point of view yeah so i would say probably nine out of ten clients if they have an asi already run they're low cortisol all day or you know generally low to, to where they should be and they're sort of the stress binge eating type people so if you were designed if you were designed a little small stack there what would that be would that be something like 5-HTP, and I know uh, L-theanine with Well, it is an amino acid. Yeah, it's an amino acid. Um, We only use it if GABA doesn't work, um, but it's marvelous uh, when GABA doesn't work, and that's maybe 1 in 10. Um, So uh, when we get uh, somebody who's... uh, you're saying if if their cortisol is in the normal range, it's on the low normal range, right? Um, it depends on their symptoms, you know, because GABA is relaxing, but it doesn't help with fatigue. Um, so, um, in order to to get that cortisol energy back, so that you have the strength to cope with stress, um, we, you know, we. Prefer we preferred to use cortisol itself, which was available over the counter until very recently. So now we're back to the adaptogens and um, uh, specifically uh, ashwagandha, um, and for those who tolerate it well, licorice. That's for energy raising. You know, for a low cortisol person. Mm-hmm. Um, when you we we often see somebody who is below normal uh, in cortisol in the daytime and then excessively high at night so they don't sleep. And um, we have wonderful results normalizing that with the uh, amino acid um, uh, serine, the phosphorylated type of uh, form of of serine, um, which normalizes and uh, moderates that spike in the middle of the night that, that wakes you up and keeps you awake when you should be getting your best deepest sleep. Uh, and that alone can raise your energy and, and normalize the rest of the day's cortisol to get a decent night's sleep. That's great. How, how many milligrams is that normally? Because I see a lot of times that people are using way too low phosphatoserine. It's just not, not really enough to do much. Well, there are two types of serine, phosphatidyl, which doesn't do much for cortisol, mm. but phosphorylated serine, different uh, form of the amino acid, is marvelous. But it, it, the range is um, 1,000 to 3,000 a day. 
And so by by day, we mean, you know, take it at bedtime if you tend to wake up in the middle of the night so that it has time to act. Um, and we start with one, 1,000 milligram, and we go up to three if needed and as needed. And this is all uh, explained that there's an article on insomnia on the Mood Cure uh, website, moodcure.com, and also in the book, there's a whole chapter on insomnia that includes information about how um, adrenal cortisol uh, elevations can cause a particularly nasty form of and common form of insomnia. So are you saying that phosphatoserine and phosphorylated serine, those are two different things? Or? Those are two different types of serine. Wow, I never knew that. Well, most people don't, and a lot of people try with the, the phosphatidyl, which is better known, but it just doesn't have the impact on cortisol. You know, it's good for memory. It's marvelous for memory, uh, whereas the phosphorylated isn't. But the phosphorylated can correct the whole um, um, adrenal brain disconnect. It's just an amazing supplement. That's cool. I know this is very specific. This is my last question for you. I know this is very specific depending on the person, but um, what would you consider your top three favorite nutrients? This could be just for just life in general, something that really just helps you get through life. Um, well, there really isn't one. Uh, you really have to go from person to person, but I would. But it's clear what the most commonly needed ones are and the most warmly welcomed, you know, over thousands of people. And and, and those are tryptophan or 5-HTP, you know, and the, just in, in the different form of tryptophan. We, we, um, and, uh, and GABA. Uh, and uh, for, the, for uh, enhancing the pleasure in life, um, DL-phenylalanine. Uh, but for all those uh, hypoglycemics uh, who um, who have you know a real struggle with uh, mood and and cravings for for uh, sugar in particular, uh, the amino acid glutamine is a, a real lifesaver. So I can't, I can't limit it to three, but I can go for four. Hey, that works. Glutamine super <laughs> super gut healing too, which is why. Yes. An immune system healer, it's an amazing uh, nutrient. That's awesome. Well, Julia, I, I swear this could I could make this 10 hours if you gave it to me. But uh, <laughs> Well, but it was a pleasure. It was. we, we got to let you go, but tell people about your website and your books. And we got to do this again because we had so much fun. Um, well, I wasn't born yet, but we had so much fun reminiscing about the past. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, we can, uh, it'd be fun to do it when I have a little more time to remember specific stories. Um, but, uh, for, you know, immediate first aid, uh, your listeners, uh, must be referred to my books, The Mood Cure and The Diet Cure, um, and the websites, uh, dietcure.com and moodcure.com that are loaded with, uh, with things. And among other things, if people are timid, um, about trying their own amino acids, um, there's a practitioner list of people I've trained and certified uh, on the moodcure.com uh, site, and there is a virtual clinic for food cravers on the diet care site. Um, so 
that's a lot of resources for people, and uh, I wish all of your listeners the very best. Awesome. Thank you, Julia. And you're welcome. People should definitely get the audio books as well. If you've listened to a podcast, you're an audio listener, pick up the audio version. I picked up the audio version of The Mood Cure, and it's one of my favorites. I've probably listened to it 10 times, and uh, it's just oh. a, a great way to get that into your brain. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, I don't even have to say I hope you enjoyed that episode because I guarantee you did. And I've actually talked with Julie and I've changed my mind. You may have heard me talk about a few episodes back about how I was running uh, urine testing for adrenal and hormone panels and that I was not doing the salivary. But after some more uh, talk with Julia today, I've been convinced to offer and run the adrenal cortisol test that she talked about in this episode. So uh, it's not guaranteed that you need that test, but what I would do is just get in touch with me. You can go to my website, notjustpaleo.com. You'll see the click to make an appointment button, and you can schedule a complimentary consult with me, and I can talk with you about your symptoms and, and what you're going through. And if I can help you with that, and I think that that test is helpful, then we can run that for you. So obviously, there's uh, several other different tests that are very helpful, whether it's the adrenal test or um, food sensitivities, organic acid testing to figure out neurotransmitter imbalances. So there's many different ways that you can get help through my website if you're struggling with this type of stuff. It's incredible what amino acids and the right type of testing can do for your brain. And uh, I had a client the other day, she emailed me and she said, I told her I was going to mention this on the podcast. I said, uh, this is a great testimonial. She said, Evan, I don't crave carbs anymore. What's going on? And I just love positive complaints like that. I've never heard somebody ask, why? Why don't I crave carbs? But uh, that means what we're doing is working. So like I said, you can contact me for a complimentary consult back at the website, notjustpaleo.com. You'll see the button there. Click to make an appointment. And I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. He acts like it's all good, yeah, like everything's poor. Kiss her girl and I never please her. She doesn't have a clue that he's terrible blues. Why I'm in a tire, got to watch out, girl. Don't wanna see her by her eyes out, girl. Cause I've been warned.